Hey everyone, it's Kathy Hackle, popularly known as the godmother of the metaverse, guiding brands into virtual worlds. And you're listening to the Edge of NFT podcast. They are not the mother goose of Web3, but they sure are delivering the greatest stories evolving today. So keep listening. Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn how today's guest has built a career of experience that gives her unique insight into the business opportunities of the metaverse and Web3. And what happens when you mix fashion, authenticity, and fearlessness into a woman on a rocket ship into the metaverse? And how Republic Crypto takes a conservative and thoughtful approach to the Web3 future that can give cutting-edge projects the support they need. All this and more on today's episode. Finally, NFTLA 2022 was a blast. It was also a blast off. In a giant plume of bright burning rocket fuel, Web3 NFTs, blockchain, decentralization, and a suite of immersive new tech developments have just exploded onto the canvas of life. Outer Edge is the theme of this year's event, dedicated to those of you building with us at the Outer Edges, making the future happen. The community-centric gathering returns to Los Angeles March 20th to the 23rd, 2023, to uplift creators and technologies through interactive experiences, a wide variety of discussions and presentations, and entertaining surprises that transport participants to the outer edge of what's possible when we co-create a new paradigm, embracing the decentralized web, artificial intelligence, extended reality, and more. To register, to attend, or learn how to co-create an experience on the outer edge, head over to outeredge.live. The event is being organized by the Edge of Company and us founders of the Edge of NFT podcast. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode, we're thrilled to welcome Kathy Hackle, founder and chief metaverse officer at Journey, a globally recognized executive and futurist. Kathy has worked with leading tech companies such as HTC Vive, Magic Leap, and AWS, and leads Journey's metaverse studio, where she and her team help brands with their Web3 strategies, NFTs, gaming, and virtual culture. With impressive projects like Walmart Land and Universe of Play in Roblox, Electric Fest, and upcoming luxury fashion collections, Kathy has established herself as a thought leader in virtual fashion and immersive experiences. She's been writing and speaking about the metaverse and direct-to-avatar trend since 2020 and recently chaired the inaugural Metaverse Fashion Week. Her new book, Into the Metaverse, The Essential Guide to the Business Opportunities of the Web3 Era, is a must-read for anyone interested in the future of business and technology. We are excited to dive into Kathy's insights and perspective as the godmother of the metaverse and host of Adweek's Metaverse Marketing Podcast, fellow podcaster. Kathy, welcome to Edge of NFT. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And it's couture. Uh, okay. You said Got culture. It. It's all good. That's my yeah. world, the fashion space. So I'm ready to tackle it with you. Thank here. you. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Yeah, this has been one I've been really excited about, Kathy. And there's just so much that's happened over the last few years. And you've been on the front line there. And love to sort of rewind, though, and sort of go back to that first aha moment that led you to focus on metaverse field and working with big companies like Amazon and Walmart. Yeah, I mean, it's I've been in the space for almost 10 years, right? So <laughs> people were like, that's been around? Well, kind of, yes. So I started off in virtual reality, worked with HTC Vive, for example, went over to Magic Leap, went to AWS, and then launched off on my own. But my aha moment was, I think it's a mix of different things. I was working in the live video space, so very way back, like Meerkat Periscope, before you could go live on Instagram, like, ooh, oh, it yeah. took a long time ago, right? I was working in live video. That's kind of why I started to get connected to tech in Silicon Valley. And I was invited to a conference. And I put on a VR headset and I went into a solitary confinement cell in virtual reality. And within a couple of minutes, I felt claustrophobic. I took the headset off. I said, this is the future of something. This is the future of storytelling or whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I literally made a decision right then and there that I was going to get on this rocket and I was going to ride the rocket. Right. And it started in VR, took me to spatial computing and magic leap, which when I was there, we thought it was the next Apple. Right. I mean, Neil Stevenson was there, for goodness sakes, then AWS and stuff. And it's just been crazy. So that was my initial aha moment. My second aha moment was when I worked at Magic Leap. And for those of you guys that don't know Magic Leap, it's a company that does spatial computing glasses or augmented reality glasses for ease of understanding. And when I was there, our two futures was Neil Stevenson, the person that coined the term metaverse. And the first day, right, when I went to work there, we thought it was the next Apple, right? The first day I went to work there, that the training for the employees, they talked about the four North Stars of the company. And one of those North Stars was called the Magicverse. They branded it. <laughs> but in essence, the Metaverse, right? So I've been in this Metaverse space, thinking through it, talking to executives for a very long time. So yeah, it's been a mix of different aha moments. I'm still on the rocket. I'm going to ride it with you guys all the way to the top. So still riding it. All the and, way to the outer edge. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we love the rocket ship metaphor. <laughs> we fully embraced it and expounded upon it. We realized like after the sort of like fiery blaze that has been the past couple of years that we also like the metaphor of like kind of the fuel tanks of the rocket ship, just like blasting everything off. And then we're actually kind of like moving into outer orbit right now, kind of getting heads down working. And then we're going to land on some far off planet at Outer Edge LA. So we'll see people there to do that. But it's all very exciting stuff. You've led Journey's Metaverse Studio, which we mentioned. And in that role, you get to work with top brands there, extending their reach in the virtual world specifically. And so there's many top brands that you work with. So I'm curious how you can tailor the strategies that you use to work with multiple needs and goals from multiple stakeholders. How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, the brands I work with are very different, right? You've got Walmart over here, but then you've got maybe in luxury brand over here. And then you've got a beauty brand. Like these are all different. So one of the things that I think we've done well is kind of sitting down with the brands, trying to understand their world and also trying to understand like where their consumers are, like the younger consumers, right? In a lot of the work that you're going to see me do this year, I'm going to be doing a lot of work around Gen Alpha. So Gen Alpha, for those that don't follow those demographic groups or whatever, you've got Gen Z, which everyone's talking about, which is like TikTok, you know, everyone's on TikTok with Gen Z. With Gen Alpha, you're talking about kids that are 12 and still being born. Like, so Gen Alpha is still being born today. I've got three kids, they're all Gen Alpha. So like, I've got a front row seat to see what they're doing. So 
looking at Gen Alpha, looking at what Gen Alpha is doing, what a Gen Alpha want, right? We're creating journeys for the future consumers, right? We're, we're, we're mm-hmm. helping the brands understand these future consumers, both in virtual spaces and physical spaces, but always with that lens of what are these younger consumers going to want? I don't even like the word consumers. What are these younger audiences, right? right. Going to want, how are they going to engage with brands? So with each brand, it's like a different approach, right? And even like some of the brands that we work with are conglomerates. So within those conglomerates, there's a million other brands. So it's not easy, but I think that there is, if you start to look at the younger consumers and what are they interested in, right? right. What, are, what are they looking for? Follow up there. I have a five-year-old son and we actually happen to, at our library has this, all this cool stuff you can check out. And they have kind of like Google Cardboard level kind of VR headset where you can put your phone in. It's very cool. So we picked it up and we used it and it was fun. He's going through outer space and what's it like to be a firefighter, all this cool stuff. I was looking it up recently and they actually have like the companies that make the VR goggles explicitly will say like, be careful with kids below. I forget it's a certain age, maybe 13 13 or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as someone who studied neuroscience, I understand there's the visual system developing that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm just curious, like, how do you think about that in terms of we're onboarding these younger folks. It's exciting for them to be able to do this stuff, but there's kind of impactful things. We're not sure how they're going to affect kids, their development. How do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I will say even with my kids, I'm very cautious. Like they've demoed a little VR, they've done a little spatial computing, stuff like that, but very minimal. Like most of their interaction is like with regular screens, 2D. And even with that, I still have them wear sometimes like the glasses, the blue light, whatever glasses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I do think that we have to be cautious. It's up to the parents. I think the corporations have to put an age gate. I think I'm all for that. But definitely as parents, we need to be careful what they're doing right within that. Like my kids don't have free range access to a VR headset. Like, no, just like they don't have free range access to the internet for everything that they want. It's got all the precautions I can put in there. But yeah, I think that we do have to take care of kids in that sense. And even with the precautions I have in place, they'll run into stuff they shouldn't be seeing in Roblox or in other platforms, right? So yeah, I mean, the only thing there I can say is like, I have an open door with my kids. We talk all the time. They come to me sometimes when they see stuff that shouldn't be there. And then we do the best to report it or do whatever we can. But yeah, definitely these tools are, I think it's 13 and up. I remember at Magic Leap, I think it was 14 and up. And there's this like kind of need out there, I guess, to bridge folks into what this next evolution of technology is into the metaverse and whatnot. And you've really, you've done a ton in the space, right? You look at your resume, you've been in almost every aspect of it. Like what was it that you saw that led to the formation of Journey and what role do you think you'll play here, at least in the immediate term? I know things evolve very quickly. Yeah. So to me, it was a very critical moment. I had been laid off from Magic Leap. I went through a layoff, just like a lot of people are hurting right now and going through that. And I went to AWS. I was there, but I felt that cloud computing wasn't my passion, but I was still writing at Forbes. And I wrote an article in 2020 that Ryan Gill brought the term to me. He said, direct to avatar and something clicked in my brain. And I wrote an article and I asked the question, is direct to avatar the next direct to consumer? This is like 2020, mind you, like a long time ago, right? And I remember that article in Forbes sparked something in the fashion community because I got so many messages from like C-suite, like, C-suite at a fashion brand saying, you put into words what we've been seeing, we just didn't know how to express it. And I started working with a lot of brands. My first client was Ralph Lauren, for example, the Ralph Lauren company. And they said, hey, come help us understand the space. Like what's happening? What's direct avatar? What's the metaverse? What are NFTs? And that was a moment for me where I started to see like, wow, there's so much need for education. There's so much hunger for change and understanding the virtual side that we're heading into. 
And that was for me that moment of like, okay, I'm leaving AWS. I'm launching my own company, which got acquired by Journey in 10 months, mind you. So as an entrepreneur, (laughs) very happy about that. And then that bleeds into the ethos of what journey is, which is merging physical and digital and virtual and making these journeys for these new customers. So I don't know. It's all like I always say, my path has never been a straight path. It's been lots of twists and turns. It all starts to make sense eventually. Mm -hmm. Right. And you had this unique position, especially having spent so much time and under the hood at Magic Leap to see, I guess, what the hardware application is that can move us further along the path here with the metaverse, with Web3 really collectively, but in particular in the metaverse, no matter what your definition is, like what's your perspective on where we're at currently with hardware and maybe what that inflection point is? How far off are we from having something that really gets us all into it? Hardware is hard. (laughs) It's very, very hard to do. And I think we oversimplify it. And as humans, we want to obsess on the hardware, right? Because it's like what we can see, but Mm -hmm. it's really hard. I mean, And I have this discussion with a lot of people. We're talking about putting a supercomputer on someone's face. Like that in itself, moving from phone to glasses is extremely hard, right? We're going to get there. Like, I think that's what all the tech companies are planning for. I always get asked that. Like, I think whenever Apple brings whatever it is that they're going to bring to market, whenever that happens, that'll be a watershed moment. Will it be the perfect glasses that we're all dreaming of? No, just like the first iPhone wasn't perfect. So I think it's going to be a progression. I do think that whenever that happens, And I don't know if it'll be 2023, to be honest. They might announce something this year, but I don't think we're going to have a product till something in 2024, 2025. I don't think the full-fledged glasses that we dream of will be here. We'll probably need five years or a little more for that level of like truly connectedness. But yeah, I mean, hardware is easy for humans to understand because we can touch it. I'm really interested also in all the content and everything, all the infrastructure, everything that's behind it, where I think a lot of the creators that you guys talk to play. So yeah, but hardware is harder than people realize. Appreciate your perspective there. So another topic we wanted to dive in with you is fashion. We've talked about fashion on the show fairly often over the last year and a half. I remember Emma Jane McKinnon coming on the show and Luxo and Faith Tribe. And I know you have some personal projects in the fashion space. And I'd love to sort of better understand your perspective on how you see luxury fashion evolving in the metaverse and where virtual fashion sort of plays into the future of style and couture. I know there was just a metaverse fashion event just last night. So yeah, would love your perspective there. Yeah, and I was definitely there. Vivian Tam's metaverse fashion runway, watching it was fantastic. It was really fun. Well done. Swan sit and a whole bunch of other folks worked on that. So yeah, shout out to Swan who gave us the heads up about that one. Yeah, so amazing work. I mean, the role of fashion, what I think is poetic here, and I've said this, is that we've got one web one was really focused on like the enterprise and universities like web two who was pushing innovation yeah it was social media but let's be honest it was also adult entertainment right pushing the boundaries of what could be done and then with web three and like as we head into this future i think it's poetic that it's fashion right fashion luxury art architecture i mean that in itself says a lot about who we are so yeah i mean i love that fashion is a first mover i love that there's fearlessness and courage from some of the fashion brands in jumping in. Some things are going to go really well. Some things are going to fail. That's the reality of it, right? So understanding that it's tough. It's tough right now. And I give a lot of kudos to all the brands that are doing great stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think just fashion is a natural space in the sense that culture is being created in gaming. Culture is being created in virtual spaces. Fashion understands that. Streetwear and sneaker culture impacted fashion in, in ways that I don't think they understood. 
So I see they are, they look at gaming and they're like, wow, this is making culture. This is impacting what people are going to wear. So I love that. What is the job and the role of virtual fashion? I'm hopefully optimistic that it will potentially help us not have so much fast fashion, right? Buying the item just to wear it in a picture and then throw it away. Like that is heartbreaking. And we all do it from time to time. But yeah, I think that potentially fast fashion can help with that. And I think if you've had the Luxo team and some of the other folks here, they've probably talked about that, how it can potentially solve fast fashion. And I just think it'll also unlock creativity and let us design things that we could never imagine. I have a phrase that I said a long time ago and said, the world's next Coco Chanel is probably a 10-year-old girl designing skins in Roblox. And I wholeheartedly believe that, wholeheartedly. So I think fashion has a big role to play as we head into the future and how we dress ourselves, our avatars, and even how we dress ourselves through augmented reality in the future. So that's, yeah, I think it's also really interesting from a sustainability perspective, because that's such a big topic with fashion that you can create something and have a one-on-one and maybe create clothing just based on a predefined amount of need and a pre-purchase experience. Jeff and I have dabbled in the world of sustainable fashion. And man, it's really disappointing how difficult it is to create an item in one place that has a lower carbon footprint. You're shipping things all around the world to get certain fabrics combined together. And then with the challenges that COVID caused to shipping and everything, it's just really challenging. And I think there's an interesting element of digital fashion sort of supporting the sustainable fashion economy. Yeah. You know where I do get really excited right now since you're asking about fashion and that's like kind of my thing is connected fashion or some people use fidgetal. Fidgetal is not my favorite word. I use connected fashion, but starting to connect physical items to virtual items and creating that seamless connection between them. I think that there's something there, especially when you talk about luxury, right? Luxury goods, luxury market, obviously the provenance and all those sorts of things. But you know, a lot of the work, for example, G Money's done a lot of work with, he calls it networked products. I think that's what he uses. I don't know. I use connected fashion, but you know, I'm doing a lot of work around NFC chips that become physical NFTs and putting them into different jewelry collections. So I think that there's something there as well to be able to trace those items. Yeah, totally agree. So we're doing this fun collab with mm -hmm. the crypto jeweler for Outer Edge LA, where all of our VIPs are going to get this really beautiful silver bracelet. And there's going to be a QR code connected to the gift and they'll be able to have a digital version of that bracelet. So love it. he's great, by the way. If you don't know Michael, the crypto jeweler, he's an awesome human being. I love to connect because I've been working with like Simon Farshow, who's a jewelry designer on a jewelry collection as well. But it's not QR codes, it's actual NFC chips. Nice. Right? Inside yeah. the jewelry, which in itself, we have to like figure out how much heat can the chip take and like all these sorts of things. What can you cover it with? Can you cover it with metal? Can you cover it with this, with that? It's been a really interesting process designing the jewelry. I think he's going down that path too. This was a little mm -hmm. bit more of an impromptu, impromptu <laughs> thing for the event, but that is the sort of connectedness that yeah. I get really excited about too. And that's awesome that you're working on that. Yeah. Fashion, I just keep thinking back to my PhD when I was studying neuroscience, but it was particularly in a lab where we studied birds and bird mm -hmm. song. So I got a lot of exposure to the studies of cultural evolution. So watching what's happening with the metaverse and fashion, it's interesting. It's almost like an experiment. You throw this at humans and what do they do? And birds are a really wonderful place to look at the evolution of culture, right? Like mm -hmm. taking songs and turning them, how they evolve over time or birds actually, some people don't even notice, are fashionistas in and of themselves. You know, you've mm -hmm. got the peacock, which is the quintessential example yeah. But you can look at the bowerbird who goes and like builds these 
wonderful structures to made in our beautiful colors and things that they gather. But it's all fascinating to me on the level of our society evolving into more culture mm-hmm. and less, I wouldn't say like functional work. There's something just beautiful about being alive, being a human, celebrating the beauty around us and like creating and participating. And it's interesting the point that you make there about fashion leading the way, right? That makes a lot of sense. Well, so- and to that point, I think with generative AI right now and everything that's happening, people are really freaking out, right? But I'm like, well, to me, in some ways, there are some negatives. There are some positives. I view it as an abundance technology. And I'm like, maybe it will unleash levels of creativity we've never seen or we never had a chance to do, right? You being a neuroscientist and everything, I mean, there's a whole other level. If you had generative AI and break computer interfaces, like just the exponential level of what we can do with our brains, just, I don't know, brains and minds, because <laughs> they're not all, I don't know. Yes, yes. <laughs> By the way, I just have to mention this. I ran into a neurosurgeon at a coffee shop a couple of days ago. He introduced me to this idea that there's this thing, I feel it's called the stent stentrode, I think it's what it's mm-hmm. called. But they can literally take an electrode array, insert it in a vein through the lower part of your body. It goes all the way up into your motor cortex and implants a set of electrodes that can be used to like literally interface with the motor cortex, meaning it's like a very low impact surgery, right? Like they don't have to cut the skull open or anything like this. Yeah, Man, it's going to be fascinating. I want to dive into your contribution to the literature of what's going on here. So you've written a book, Into the Metaverse, which we mentioned in the intro as well. Tell us some of the key takeaways that readers could expect to get. I think it's a wonderful topic to address and we really hit it right in the zeitgeist. So tell us a little bit more. Yeah. So this is actually my fourth book. I did two books that I did self-published with great co-authors. And one of my co-authors, Sam Wolf, has a new book out. Another co-author of mine, John Bazell, actually works at Epic. So like really amazing people. But this fourth book, this is just me. This is my first time being a sole author of the book. So it's been really exciting. It's focused on the business opportunities of the metaverse and Web3, right? So it's not about defining it. There is a chapter about defining it because we'll still need help defining it or thinking how to try to define it. So it's focused on the business opportunities. It's for those people that want to leave Metaverse and Web3 within their brands, organizations, startups, whatever it is. But yeah, it's got a lot of great nuggets in there. It's not highly technical, as maybe some of the other books are trying to define it more, going more into the technologies. This one's really about business, like business opportunities. What does this mean? What can we do? What does it mean today? What does it mean tomorrow? for our businesses, those sorts of things. So gotten great feedback. I was very lucky, weirdly enough, that it all happened. I was able to launch the book at Davos. I was invited to speak at the World Economic Forum this year in Davos and happened to be right around the time I was launching my book. So, you know, not everyone gets to say that, but it's an exciting moment. It's been well-received and I hope more people kind of see the value in it. So. Yeah, we love Davos. We were there last Davos, which was just six months ago. And it would have been yeah. super fun. We went to, to the summer Davos. Yeah. 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 We got to enjoy like warm breezes and all wow. this amazing green grass. It was a little chilly. Very when different. You were there. <laughs> yeah. But I know Yat was there. Actually, it was funny. He came on the show at like midnight after a whole day of networking in Davos. So maybe he was at a party you were at and then he came on the show. So yeah, I probably ran into him. I saw him in several things. So yeah. Oh, funny. All right. So let's draw from your expertise as one of the top tech voices out there for brands that are looking to enter the metaverse. Just 
dipping their toes into it. What advice do you have for them to get started? Well, I think my advice has evolved over time. I think it's most brands have done something or started to do something, right? So definitely take those learnings. What did you learn? What did you do right? What did you do wrong? What did you have to do better? Keep trying. I think for a lot of brands that maybe had some fails, they felt deterred. And it's like, they don't want to do anything. They don't want to touch anything. It's like, no, no, keep trying. And sometimes I let them know, like, you don't have to experiment. It, not everything has to be a PR play. Like, not everything has to be this big, giant launch with a PR release. You can still experiment in private. Like, there's ways to do that and test assumptions. But yeah, I think one of the biggest changes I've had is, like, work with more creators. Partner with more endemic platform creators. Partner with more people that understand where you're going, right? I think that that's incredibly important. And it doesn't have to always be the usual suspects. So yeah, look for those creators that get you, the ones that understand your culture, the ones that align with your values. So yeah, I think it's focusing on that and not necessarily focusing on the creators that have a million followers. Like that doesn't necessarily translate into much anymore. But yeah, looking for the right fit. And yeah, just keep trying. I mean, it's hard, right? All of us here, we're in the trenches. Like it's hard right now, especially with everything that's happened and is happening. It's hard. It's hard to be in the trenches, but we're learning a lot. And sometimes you'll get amazing knowledge from someone that might have a smaller audience and is doing a lot of these things and learning them firsthand. So, so get right after on. it, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the time to build. Would love to sort of better understand your roadmap going forward and partnerships, artist collaborations, features that we should look out for. And maybe in sort of addressing that question, you can kind of speak to some of the things on the roadmap of your clients that you're excited about. Like, I'm really curious what's next with Walmart and some of the other projects that you're working on. Definitely cannot share that. <laughs> Too many NDA uh, we, 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 we do such a, yeah, we warmed you up, Kathy, for like almost an hour and we still couldn't get, all we right, I see how that. it is. I know, I think you're going to continue to see a lot of brands doing interesting things doing things that are non-obvious. I think we'll continue to see more entertainment, more concerts, maybe done differently. I think we'll continue to see fashion shows maybe evolving beyond just the virtual and kind of really merging physical and digital. I'm excited about September. I will say New York Fashion Week in September is going to be exciting, at least for me. And yeah, I think from a roadmap perspective, I mean, I'm going to keep running Journey, keep doing amazing work there. We're doing a lot of work, both in the physical and the virtual spaces. Our physical studio, for example, is working on TSX, TSX Broadway, which is going to be the world's first Web3 building in Times Square. Amazing project. And then, you know, our virtual side is doing a lot of amazing work as well. So continue to run Journey, do great work there. And then on a personal level, just doing a lot of like projects like the jewelry collection. I've got a few other luxury fashion collections dropping. I'm launching my own community. I think it's time for me. Like I've been holding back and I don't know what has holding me back, but I'm a little less fearful. So I'm a little fearless this year. I'm launching People of the Metaverse community, which is focused on the philosophers, thinkers, doers, creatives of today to come together and create collective intelligence to solve today's problems. And that People of the Metaverse community is also going to feature Metaverse salons, like these really exciting physical events. And it's going to culminate with what I'm calling the Metaverse and Web3's most interesting cocktail party. So, yeah. (laughs) That's really cool. And of course, let us know however we can help with that when that launches sounds like a great sort of community to be part of thank you yeah wait till my computer spits out a cocktail from my vetiverse party for me to to actually drink that'll be kind of fun yeah (laughs) or maybe like i think we still need a couple years from that you you know those things where it's the beer and it's like the straw that comes (laughs) in right you could attach that to the vr goggles that'd be pretty cool (laughs) 
So before we get to quick hitters, which would be really fun, I'm sure with you, a couple of projects that you've been following in the Web3 space, aside from your own, that you find interesting or you think the listeners might like to know about. Yeah, I mean, Mavion World, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I love what they're doing. Always looking at dead fellas and kind of how what Betty's doing over there. Yeah, Boss Beauties, I did a collaboration with them last year. They just did something with NARS, which I was very excited to see. So yeah, just lots of different projects. Yeah, I mean, of course, I've got the Board Ape and the Clone X and all those, and I love all those teams. But yeah, I think that there's some fun projects. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate that. Well, lots of amazing stuff you've been working on, Kathy. I can't wait to see what's coming up next with all these amazing clients and as well as just your amazing network. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? (laughs) Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. (laughs) Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. But we want to shift gears a little bit and get some answers to our quick hitters, which is pretty much just a fun and quick way for us to get to know you personally a little bit better. It's 10 questions. We're looking for short, kind of single word or few word responses, but we may dive a little deeper here or there. Ready to jump in? Let's do it. I'm going to try. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Question number one, what's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I don't remember a specific thing. I think the biggest thing that made an impact between like, because I love luxury fashion was when I was 12 years old and I got my first Louis Vuitton bag. That really, really was one of those like moments. I still remember it. So I didn't buy it. My parents did, but <laughs> yeah, well, no, that counts. Okay. I didn't mark cool. it. marked, I think uh, my path forward for luxury. So awesome. All right. Question number two, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? tchotchkes like i was like 12 i had like a little summer job at a little store called le parisien which mm-hmm. sold these little like french knickknacks i have no idea what i sold but i sold something so yeah i don't even know what it was it had a french angle to it so very fancy that's by cool. the yeah. way it's girl scout cookie season in my neighborhood i realized and we went out to breakfast uh <laughs> sunday or so and there's this these girls man they were incredible salespeople. i mean they're Girl Scout cookies, Girl Scout cookies. They had like this chant that they made up. They had like a sign they were shaking around. These girls are probably like seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. I was like, you want a job? The girl's like, yeah. Like I was just oh, yeah. proud. Like she's like uh, ready to it, work. Hey, <laughs> you got to break through the noise, right? Well, oh, we yeah. need some VD people. So maybe you get a card or something. But I took my six-year-old. She's a Girl Scout. I was never a Girl Scout, but she's a yeah. Girl Scout. Six years old. They sold a hundred boxes. We were in front of this like area, like we were in front of a GNC and they kept selling, kept saying, dosi dos have protein. Like they were just like, all these things <laughs> trying to sell to everyone that was going to GNC. That's it was awesome. hilarious. They sold a nice. hundred boxes. I'm like, you go girls. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Okay. Question number three. What's the most recent thing you purchased? 
Ooh, a dress. Yeah, beautiful dress for a trip to Paris. Oh, nice. A lot of French and, nice. and, and, I know. and fashion themes. You know, I'm so surprised. You know what I mean? Yeah. So question four, what's the most recent thing you sold? What did I sell? I mean, does it count if I sold it through Journey <laughs> Consulting? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I sold some consulting recently. Playing and consulting around. Yeah, that's amazing. Cool. Okay. Number five, what's your most prized possession? Oh, my goodness. I used to say my passport, but I think it's my kids' pictures. Yeah. Whatever it is, anything for my kids, I live for them. So yeah, I can relate. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, something digital, physical, a service, an experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? I would love to buy a house in Costa Rica because my parents live down there and something on the beach so that the kids can go down. Like, I don't know. I just think it'd be nice for them to have that connection. So like a beach house in Costa Rica, if I could. Nice. Yeah. And have you been out surfing in Costa Rica? I cannot surf for the life of me, <laughs> No, okay. but my kids are learning whenever we go down. So, but yeah. it sounds like you've tried if you, uh, yeah, know that you it's not, not for me. Yeah, it's I, not I have balance as a dancer, but I cannot surf. Dominical is the big surfing spot yep. in Costa Rica. Is it? Yeah. yeah. It's been a minute, but I love Costa Rica. Nice. All right. Question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Fearlessness, like just being authentically yourself and not caring especially the girls. And I'll just stick them in on this one. I feel like over the last 10 years where I've been in tech, I've been trying to fit into a box of who I thought I had to had to be a tech bro. I'm not a tech bro, never been. And eventually, I think starting like a year and a half ago, I started to embrace my femininity and say, I don't have to look like a robot on my headshots. I can be me. I can embrace being me. And yeah, just being authentic, I think is, has really catapulted me as a person and as a professional. And I want that for more women and more BIPOC folks. Right on. Well, let's flip that one on its head, though, and go to question eight, which is if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? I'm highly competitive, which is getting bad. Like, yeah, sometimes it can be really bad when you're too competitive. So yeah. you have any good examples of where it's gone sideways for you? Yeah, it's just if you're too competitive and you track your competitors way too much, you can mm. obsess over it. Right. So, yeah, it can be a little too much. I'm like, no, no, take a step back. Mm hmm. I was just thinking of my son. He's only four, or I guess four and a half right now, playing Candyland and trouble and overcoming losing. Those, you know, it's like that spark of how you don't want to lose the competitive spirit, but you could see where yeah. it can go sideways. It can be a, a drag. So go ahead. Yeah. There's oh, going to be a balance. Yeah. There has <laughs> to be balance. Yes. yes. Yeah. All right. Well, you made me think of another thing. Two things. So one, my son, Uno, he was learning to play Uno, and it was so fun to let him win. Like he just had so much fun just winning, yeah. you know, he set up, oh, he won again. Oh, you won again. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. And then he played with this kid that was his age that wanted to like actually seriously play. And it was just devastating when he lost. It oh, was no. just so sad. But what I wanted to bring up is I've been listening to the Broken Record podcast. It's one of my favorites lately where they talk about music. It's got Rick Rubin as one of the hosts, Malcolm Gladwell as well. Mm -hmm. And there's conversation on there recently about like competitiveness in music. And Rick mm -hmm. Rubin was just like saying like, it doesn't even make sense, right? It's like <laughs> he gave the example of uh, Rick Rubin put out a recent book, actually. You know, he's saying, look, I wrote a book. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book. Mm -hmm. Like Malcolm Gladwell's not going to write a better Rick Rubin book than Rick Rubin, right? And Malcolm Gladwell's not going to write a better Malcolm Gladwell book, right? I mean, it's like each person needs to express what they can in the best way possible. So the best competition is kind of with yourself, I think. Yeah. Who's this guy in the background? That's Arthur. <laughs> Arthur. He's competing for attention. He is, yes. <laughs> <For> attention. <laughs> nice. Oh, okay. Hello, Arthur. 
question number nine. What'd you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was getting my hair dried. <laughs> All right. <laughs> make, yeah, makeup, hair. All right. The whole deal. We yeah. appreciate it. And then last one, question 10. What you doing next after the podcast? I am meeting my two assistants to go over my speaking calendar because my travel schedule, as you guys know, is insane. Uh, so yeah, I have a meeting after this. All right. On. Okay. Well, that's quick hitters. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was fun. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Today's guest for Hot Topics is Brian Mayant. He's a co-founder and head of advisory at Republic Crypto, where he empowers and partners with people creating the foundations of Web3. And prior to Republic, Brian was a founding member of Torion, a digital asset hedge fund. Brian entered the blockchain space in 2016 as an investor, miner, and researcher after serving as a strategy consultant focusing on Fortune 100 companies. He began his career as a biomedical engineer. Brian, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to Edge of NFT. I love your background there too. It's like command central there. You're clearly doing something important. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Well, great to be here. Thank you, Ethan. I used to be really into uh, gaming. And once I started working in Web3, that free time has dwindled. But right, I hope but to the get extra back into monitors it. helped you monitor different tokens that you were trading. Productivity. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and sometimes we have a chance to introduce our co-guests to each other. But in this case, you and Kathy have some history and some really interesting intersection. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we at Republic, you know, we're very close to the Every World and Every Realm team because they spun out. And I know, Kathy, you're familiar with that team, obviously, due to your presence there. And good to be here with you. And I'm very grateful that I'm, I'm on this one. Awesome. Yeah, I was the uh, the dean of the first academy you guys had. 
So that was like sometime last year, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's awesome. Great stuff. Well, let's dive in here, Brian. So we heard that you actually hold some strong opinions about which brands are currently excelling and faltering in Web3. Share some of your perspective and elaborate so listeners can hear. We love a little bit of opinionatedness. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm curious who you heard that from because we do hold strong views, but I would say generally our stance is that we try to be pretty agnostic to people in this space, especially in the time like now, which is building season. I think that everybody that's building right now and sticking around is probably worth talking to and worth staying connected to because. My closest friends in Web3 were the ones that were with me through the 2017-2018 crypto winter, which all of mm. you all clearly remember. But in terms of if we have opinionated views, I do think we hold some pretty strong views in terms of where we are in the tech stack of building today. So as all of us that are looking to see the future where you can drink beer out of your goggles through your VR headset, like we want to see that future, but we have to be very realistic about where we are. And at Republic Crypto, we see uh, founders of all types, and we very strongly think we're still in the infrastructure phase of Web3 in terms of the tech stack. And the implication here is that for projects that are looking to build a very application-forward project where they're like, oh, social media for Web3, my general response is that I think that's a great idea, but we're too early to even entertain that type of conversation with that founder. So we are pretty picky and we have a pretty strong view on what type of projects we'd like to work with and the type of projects we'd like to support mm -hmm. in Republic Crypto based on where they're trying to build and if we think that it's realistic for them to be there. So I hope that kind of helps a little bit. That's in such terms a hard of like, topic. That's such a hard topic, right? It's so like knowing you're sort of ahead of the game. Like you can be the person that says, I was the first one to do that but it didn't work, you know? Yeah. And is that exciting or not? It's really hard to play the timing of all of these things when it comes to evolving technology. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword because I don't want to disincentivize people from building stuff. So it's like, think of CryptoKitties. I have a lot of CryptoKitties and they were the ones that forced people to think harder about Ethereum's capabilities. So someone had to do it. So it's not that they were wrong, that someone had to do it. It's just that you have to also be realistic about how far you want to take your project based on the technical limitations. Now that makes like part of, of that is, well, I guess, understanding where you are, right? Just situational awareness and like honest perspective on it. Also, you know, depending on your capabilities and your kind of willingness to stay the course, right? Is continuing to build while that infrastructure forms around you and being in a position to really take advantage of it when you cross that threshold. You don't know exactly when that is, right? But yeah, we talk about that a lot. Exactly. The chasm or something like that, right? And as much as everybody here on this podcast, I do want to live in the future where I can have all of my NFTs talk to each other, get liquidity and have really awesome graphics and a decentralized okay. platform. But I have zero idea how long it's going to take to get there. But I totally support people building to get there. That is what I'm here for. I want to like hold back my optimism because it can be very easy to read the next Neil Stephenson book or watch a cool movie and be like, oh yeah, this is going to happen in our lifetime. I think it'll happen in our lifetime, but for the record, I do think it'll happen while we are alive, but I don't know how old it will be when it, when it actually happens. Got it. Well, you guys do have this NFT advisory, you know, vertical as part of your business. 
And so I'm curious, like, how does that function? How does that work within your company? And it sounds like you have a relatively conservative perspective, right, on timing and the evolution of the tech. So yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, definitely. So the reason why we have somewhat of a conservative approach to this is Republic has, we have our roots in regulatory compliance. We are a regulated company. We we mainly facilitate investments for people and we allow people to invest in private securities in a way that's fully compliant with the laws here in the United States and internationally. So with that, we do have a team that's focused on Web3, which I'm the co-founder, and we have many different arms that help different product lines. So with the NFT advisory, we are really kind of narrowing down on this subset of entertainment and media for NFT applications. There are many other applications of NFTs, as we all know, but something that's been very passionate for us is like, how does it reach the mass adoption level? And I live in LA and we have team members here in LA as well. And we were seeing that people in Hollywood, a lot of the agencies are really dipping their toes into Web3 and uh, NFTs are probably the primary way to think of like digital merch for the IP that they're going to launch. So our team with our experience in building, we've done all sorts of advisory from layer one to layer two to DeFi and other types of metaverse type projects as well. So we try to keep that expertise and help shepherd these traditional entertainment companies that are looking to add NFTs the right way to incentivize their viewers of their content or even the creators of their content to do what they want people to do, right? And with these tokens, with the NFTs, you can really build incentive mechanisms that disrupt the way people ingest content. And that's something that I think is a common denominator across all of these IP creators, these agencies that are they're trying to think of like, okay, how do I use Web3 to change the way people interact with my content? It's not just that they watch the movie and watch the TV and they go on to the next episode. It's like, okay, now they're somewhat invested in this character because they own their NFT or they are somewhat aligned to the success of this franchise. How do I exploit that to make it fun for everybody? So our NFT advisory team really thinks about these different types of incentive mechanisms from a strategy standpoint, but we also think about it from implementation standpoint too, which is, okay, what blockchain should they use? What type of NFT standard should they use? Where is their front end? What's the back end look like? So things like that. Kathy, I, I see your head nodding. It sounds like you resonate with some of these aspects of providing thoughtful advisory services. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, I think a lot of whether it's IP holders, whether it's talent, whether it's brands, whatever it is, right, they're all asking those questions and trying to figure out what does this mean for me? Even with pullback and everything, I think they're thinking about it as forward. So, yeah. Also yeah, say, I, if, you're, if you're competing for advisory clients, though, Kathy's going to win the clients because she's very competitive. <laughs> the strategy <laughs> here is to be friends. Yeah, there's enough for everyone. <laughs> yes. There's enough yes. for everyone. <laughs> Bigger um, pie for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Stuff that's near and dear to our by the way, is content creators and also folks like working on technology to help bridge that gap, right? Consumers of content, creators of content. I get excited about use cases that just feel like a net where the metaverse and sort of Web3 is a natural extension of a brand's core identity, and maybe they didn't even realize it until they actually sort of unpack what Web3 offers them, right? And I remember when I was recently in uh, Seoul going to, you know, the hashed office, and they've got this like K-pop 
reality show sort of web three thing going. And I'm not a K-pop historian, but a lot of these groups form through voting and gamification. So like, why wouldn't turning that into a on-chain voting experience and on-chain performance be a logical next step? And I was really surprised, right? At the hash headquarters, this is like K-pop reality show on the giant Luma screen. So it was pretty fun to see. And K-pop just constantly comes up in conversation. I don't know yeah. about you guys, but... Yeah, we see that a lot. And yeah, especially in K-pop. And the thing that, to me that differentiates K-pop is the, how do I say it? The fervor of their community. Because the people that are gathering around a specific member of each K-pop group is just like, they're so passionate and they're so active that the moment you set up any sort of voting any sort of engagement possibility with the creator, their fans go crazy. And that's like exactly what you need to get people to adopt a new technology, right? They're actually willing to go through the hurdles necessary to set up a wallet, to register X and download this so that just so they could have a chance to meet or engage with their favorite K-pop artists. So that makes K-pop a really strong candidate for these types of like voting DAO type activities so that the fans can have a say in what their favorite group is doing. Yeah, and just to sort of touch on another aspect of entertainment, film is sort of a major topic of Outer Edge LA and something I know, Brian, you're, you've been thinking about a lot over at Republic and what that future film financing looks like. How do you see fans helping to create the projects they want to see on the big screen? And what are the bumpers there from a regulatory perspective? Yep, definitely. And the film financing aspect is a conversation that we typically have uh, hand in hand with the NFT conversation, because a lot of these media execs and entertainment companies are like, okay, how do we launch an NFT for this upcoming IP that we have? And also, how do we use the community that we've built with these NFTs to fundraise in a way that is complementary to existing kind of typical Hollywood fundraising styles, because you have the traditional angel and venture and the lending that they do. But now there's this whole other element of raising from your community. And with film financing, we do offer and we are really trying to pair a tokenized film offering with an NFT offering so that these two types of the security tokens that the film raises off of, as well as the NFT can interact in some way or the other, right? That's uh, kind of the promise of Web3, where you have these Lego blocks that can build off of each other and have conditional logic so that the fans can receive certain benefits based on actions that they do. So we are very careful about the regulation for this because you want to make sure whenever you dive into securities territory, for those that are kind of new to securities, if you're looking to invest in something with the expectation of upside, basically, it's highly likely that it will be a security. So people that invest in films are investing in these private securities. So we are offering what's called a security token offering for films, which is a security token that represents stake into a film or IP or something of the franchise. And people that invest can also receive perks and benefits related to the NFTs that correspond to that film. And that's been really interesting because it then gives these movie creators and producers an alternative way to fundraise. And they're also are able to get liquidity on their security tokens through a secondary exchange. There's a few out there right now. I think I recognize that there are the liquidity is not very great right now, but there's a lot of building happening in that space. 
And then last but not least, the community that you get by raising on a more public platform like Republic tied with NFTs is huge for entertainment. Well, I guess with the continued kind of evolution in entertainment, we'll see how it all kind of comes together. Especially it's interesting, like the reset, like with COVID around entertainment and how it's kind of shifted things a little bit of a different trajectory overall. So really curious as to how that plays out, but it's going to be a little time, I think still, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that on the COVID note, there's two forks that came out of it with our conversation so far. It's like, okay, how do we, there's the streaming services that everyone's been watching at home, but then there's also the return to theatrical and Theatrical seems like it might be an outdated way of doing things, but that's precisely what NFTs can actually provide, right? Like proof of attendance or ways to incentivize people to go back into the theaters. Maybe there's NFT uh, QR code that you scan right at the credits to prove that you were at the movie. So then you can get some other benefits down the road for actually watching it. So there's a lot of levers that people are playing with to get the consumers to do certain things in the space. I'm excited about a world where you got this cool movie with some really dope fashion and you can like click on it or sort of like just do something with a little wink or something. And all of a sudden you can buy some digital fashion. And and one of Kathy's amazing contour dresses is (laughs) in some dope movie that Republic helps to sort of finance. So That's my prediction for this episode. Sometime in the next two to five years, that's going to happen. I am so down. The next two to 20 years, it's going to something like that's going to (laughs) be an amazing. Uh, So, Brian, looking forward to having you over at Outer Edge LA and doing some fun stuff together. But meanwhile, where can folks go to learn more about you and Republic Crypto? Yeah, we have our main website, which is republic.com. And we also have republiccrypto.com, which goes into more detail about our Web3 native offerings. So take a look at both of them. Republic.com is where people will be able to see a lot of our investment opportunities where anybody, whether they're accredited or not, can invest in private startups. And if you work specifically in Web3, then republiccrypto.com is probably more relevant to you. Right on. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Good to be here. Yeah, Yeah, we'll we'll catch you you on the flip side. It's been awesome. Yeah, Brian, much appreciated, man. All right. So moving on, our next item on the agenda has been a fun one as of late. And we get to do like a reciprocal kind of historical connection thing here. We're doing our shout out segment. And Kathy, you were someone's shout out on a previous episode. I believe it was our Unstoppable Domains episode. So now you get to shout someone out. So here's your chance. Who are you thinking? Definitely shouting out Lindsay McInerney, Lindsay Mack. She's the CEO of Armored Kingdom, used to be at AVM Bev. She's been in this space for a while. Just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant thinker. So yeah, I feel you guys need to have Lindsay Mack on the podcast one day. She's amazing. So Lindsay McInerney, guys, CEO Sounds of good. Armored Kingdom. <laughs> well, we've had Lisa Sturbikoff and her partner on the show. And yeah. it sounds like inevitable that we also have to have Lindsay on. So appreciate that shout out and big fan of what that whole crew is doing to evolve the entertainment web three space. Yeah, keep your eye out for what they're doing. They're amazing. Yeah, great energy among that group also. Cool. Okay, well, before we wrap the episode, Kathy, we've got to make sure folks know where to go to follow you and all of your fun happenings with Journey and your book and everything. So where should we send them? Yeah, you can go to kathyhackle.com or find me on LinkedIn, Kathy Hackle, H-A-C-K-L. I also have a Metaverse and Web3 News alert group and WhatsApp. That has been blowing up lately. We've been around for two weeks, almost have 3,000 members. 
I know it's WhatsApp. Some people in Web3 don't like it, but it's actually working really well for the business, the business community folk that are not fully Web3. So yeah. How can people join that group? They can find the code on my Instagram or my LinkedIn. So very cool. And guys, Kathy has generously offered to give our listeners a few copies of her amazing book. Kathy, thank you so much for that. I guess we'll just run a little contest and and make sure people spread the word about your latest book. Yeah, I'll yeah, mail but- you guys the copies and maybe you guys can distribute them at the event. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah, that's great. How many copies should we give away? I'll send you five copies. Signed. There we go. So- All right. All getting right. it done, Amazing. co-creating in real time. Thanks so much, Kathy, for that generosity. Yeah, yeah you we really appreciate it. So, and listeners, keep an eye out on our socials for all the details on how to score one of those books. Amazing stuff. All right, y'all. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now. Rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Also, look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.